Psalm 21 and Psalm 22. And this is kind of what I was thinking. You know, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but at the end of our life, you know, you kind of get like a a clearer perspective of, of what it was all supposed to be. Now, if, especially if you're a Christian, you've been walking with the Lord for a while. You know, it, it takes time, man. But as the years go by, and if you've been serving the Lord, you've been seeking Him, you're going to notice that things kind of get clearer and clearer. Now, Paul the Apostle, at the end of his life, he described his life as a race. You guys know that, right? Second Timothy chapter 4. He described his life as a race, but he also described his life as a fight as a fight and you wonder well what's that all about you know I, I know the race thing and they say that you're racing against the best possible you and that you know you don't want to just run you want to run to win so we understand that part of it right we have to compete according to the rules and you know we don't look back you know we we look forward because we want to clear those hurdles and that's how you run to win you travel light things like that right Hebrews 12 and 1 and 2 but um, uh, what about the fight? Now, how my life is described as a fight? Yeah, it's described as a fight. Well, who are you fighting against? Well, you're fighting against yourself in one sense. First Corinthians 9, Paul the Apostle said, I beat up my body, I discipline it, I give myself black eyes. Lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. He said, talking about this race, And he says, they do it for a perishable crown. We do it for an imperishable crown. In one sense, we're fighting ourself. But, but, and even though in in one sense, that fight will never end. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross every day. So in one sense, that fight will never end. But prayerfully, it goes beyond that. Prayerfully, it goes beyond the drug addiction or the alcohol addiction or the porn addiction or the anger problem that you have. You know, or, you know, where your whole life, you're just fighting yourself. That's it. You never really made any progress in that area of your life. Because if that's all you fight, you know, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to really, you know, accomplish what I think what God wants. Because as you continue to go on, you know, eventually you start fighting demons. You start fighting um, giants and, and, and things like that. When David fought Goliath and beat Goliath, it made a huge difference in the whole country. I mean, hopefully we eventually progress. It's kind of funny. Some people just fight in their house. They fight their husband and wife and they never get past that. And you read about that in the Bible, about how oftentimes Israel would win their battle because their enemies are fighting themselves. If you're just fighting in your house, your kids, your, your, your spouse, the enemies just leave you alone. They don't fight themselves, man. Or you're just fighting yourself. I mean, that's a good fight. Again, like I said, you're going to have to you're gonna deal with yourself, crucify yourself. But, but man, it's got to go beyond that. It, it, eventually, we want to move forward. And so, you know, one of the things that I've, I've found as I read my Bible is, number one, the war is already won. Praise God for that. You know, on, on Monday is Memorial Day. Uh, there's also going to be a celebration in uh, Arsale Park for all of you who have uh, served our country in the military. Or if you know someone, you have a family member, please come. It's from 9 to 10. We want to honor you know, our military. 
You know, but, but you know, in the, in the spiritual realm, there is a war that's won. It's already been won. It was won by Jesus Christ on the cross. We're going to see that today in chapter 22 of Psalms. The victory of the cross. The war has already been won. Aren't you blessed? Aren't you guys uh, just grateful for the fact that even though we fall short, even though you guys are knuckleheads, you're going to heaven. Isn't that amazing? I'm astonished at the teaching the governor of Cyprus said that the God of the universe loves me and all I have to do is place my faith in Christ and I'm saved. So praise God, the war is already won. But there's battles along the way. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. You know, prayerfully, we just continue to win more and more battles. What happens when you win battles? What happens when you get past the first round of the playoffs? Second round. And it usually gets a little harder, right? And then you go farther and farther. That's what we have to do. You guys, it's time. It's time to be that man, to be that woman that God's called you to be. David is an example for us. And we see some of that in Psalm 21. Notice what it says right here. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember we talked about how Psalm 20 may be considered a, a prayer or a song that they prayed before the battle. Now, most people will tell you that Psalm 21 is the prayer or song they sang after the battle. And what this is right here is David, you know, with joy, you know, because God had given him his strength and God had given him salvation there. We read in verse 1, and other translations use the word victory or deliverance. So they had gone out in the battle and God had given him the battle. Notice again in verse 2, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. This is something that happens after, right? Look back in chapter 20 in verse 4. This is before the battle. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Now we're reading about how God gave him his heart's desire. As he would go out and he would fight. Imagine how different life would be if we made progress. You know, a lot of times I think people, they go around and for us as Christians, I thank God that we're his workmanship, but we don't change. God says there has to be growth in your life. And, and it's so cool when you see victory, where you could look back and you say, you know what, I used to kind of be like that and now I'm not. Pastor Chuck Smith, he used to struggle with anger. But God gave him victory. Not that he would ever necessarily say, I've arrived, but his life's different now. What we find right here is David in the battle, he's just praising God for the salvation he'd been given, the deliverance he'd been given, the victory 
that he'd been given. And I just love the way that it's phrased there in verse 2 because we can take that and we can apply it in so many different things. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. I mean, just so amazing, you know, how that is, man, how God can work in our lives. And, and he puts certain desires in your heart. And imagine one day, you know, being able to get those desires, you know. And in, in verse 3, it says, for you, for you meet him with the blessings of goodness, you set a crown of pure gold upon his head. And so, what do you think David's desires were? You know, some may say that 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 crown of of pure gold, I mean, maybe that's what we're talking about here. Um, David's desire to be king initially. Initially. Now, I don't think it was necessarily David's thought as as a little boy, per se. You guys know he was a shepherd, right? And he was so faithful, as a shepherd. Imagine taking care of sheep and a bear comes. Now, if you're there as a shepherd, would you fight the bear? Most of us probably wouldn't. David showed he was completely, radically, totally different. And he fought the bear and he fought the lion because he cared for the sheep. And so, you know, he was just there being faithful. And then one day, you guys know the story in First Samuel 16, Samuel came and anointed him and said, one day you're going to be king. But David didn't trip on it. David just kept doing his thing, being faithful. He wasn't, you know, wasn't a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm not going to make it happen. He waited for 20 years. But I'll bet you, though, things started stirring as he's out there you know, in the caves of Adullam and he's running through life wondering if that prophecy is ever going to happen and then that starts stirring up and then eventually, you know, I, I kind of would like to be king. I, I would like to be king, not because I want power, not because I want position, but because I want to be an instrument, a vessel to bless my country. I want to be an individual and make a difference in people's lives. I want to bring glory to God. Yeah, and then the start, it starts stirring. So maybe part of that crown is him getting the, the, the crown initially. Others will point to the fact that as he continued to get victories, he would get other crowns. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a time when he was fighting the Ammonites, and, uh, and it, the Bible talks about it in 2 Samuel chapter 12, not, not just the crown initially, but then the ongoing crowns victoriously, militarily. That would kind of stay within the context of the psalm. Remember, the psalm is about you know, him getting the victory, right? I mean, Psalm 20 is before, Psalm 21 is after. And so he's fighting the Ammonites, and you guys remember what happened there? They went and they got the crown from the king of Ammon, and it says that they put the crown on his head, Guess how much that crown of pure gold weighed? You guys aren't going to believe me. 75 pounds. Now for those of you, you guys, you guys know how heavy that is? I mean, I used to work out back when I was uh, 18, two years ago. And, (laughs) you know, you got those 45 plates. I mean, those things are heavy. That's just 45. 75 pounds on your head? Homeboy must have had a big old neck, right, David? <laughs> I don't know. Or if he had some type of brace or something. Now, they say that every leader has a heavy crown. That's something to think about. But, but again, getting crown 
maybe that was it initially or victoriously as you continue to go through life. But you want to know what? As you read your Bible, there's also something else about crowns, huh? And the Bible talks about how we one day will get crowns. You know? Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, I told you about the fact that it's a crown that doesn't perish. You know, in, in, in James chapter 1, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the crown of righteousness. You know, you go through the scriptures and you have all the different crowns that are mentioned. In 1 Peter chapter 5, there's the crown of glory. And, and, and I don't know, but... But I, I do believe that this is literal, that when we die and we stand before God one day at the Bema seat, He's going to reward us with these crowns. Have you guys seen uh, Chronicles of Narnia, how they crown them? Something like that, I don't know. And then, and then you guys know what we do with those crowns, right? Then we take them and we cast them at Jesus' feet. But all that happens when we are faithful to God here. And so, you know, one of the things that you'll see in looking at this psalm right here, to me, again, I know we take it in context, and it's probably speaking about the crowns that he got victoriously, militarily, maybe speaking of the crown that he got initially, because that was eventually his desire inside. But I think there's a principle here that, you know, in verse 3, for you meet him with the blessings of goodness, you set a crown of pure gold. Uh, upon his head that's for us and and notice what he says in verse 4 he asked from you and you gave it to him length of days forever and ever he asked life from you and you gave it to him length of days forever and ever you know that the gentleman that I was referring to earlier his name is Manuel and his sister attends the church here. And so she called me up last week and she wanted to know if I would go visit her brother who was going in for double bypass surgery. And you know, I don't know, have any of you guys here ever had like that type of surgery? It's, it's heavy. I mean, I would imagine, you know, they say that when they do that, they rip open your, your cage and, you know, imagine that, man, messing with your heart. Now I know nowadays they do it more frequently, but... How many of you guys here, if that was happening to you, would be a little afraid? Just a little. You're like, okay. <laughs> you know? Um, and so if you don't know the Lord, you know, and this is where this man was, he, uh, you know, he's facing death, possibly. So, you know, the Lord obviously paved the way I went, and it was a really good conversation. He said, I want to live. I want to live for my family. And then I asked him, well, do you want to live forever? I mean, I understand you want to live on earth. I understand that. We're going to pray for that. But let me ask you a question. Do you want to live forever in heaven with God? Have you ever prayed the prayer to receive Christ? He said, no, I've never done that. I said, do you want to? Right there and then, he said, yes. And man, I could tell he meant it. And this is a guy with a, with a crazy background. You know, but afterwards... The next day, I texted him this verse right here that we read. It says right here in verse 
before he asked life from you. That's what he was asking for, like physical life. And you gave it to him. But length of days now, forever and ever. That's all that matters at the end of the day, huh? That's the one that matters. And so it's cool. We know as Christians, we have that life. Then notice it says in verse uh, 6 or verse uh, 5, His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. How many of you here think you're the most blessed? How many of you here are ready to say that? You know, you guys are all cool. God loves you. But I'm the most blessed. Come on. You should. You should. I haven't taught you well, have I? <laughs> what did John the Beloved say about himself? The apostle whom Jesus loved. I, I pray that we would see this. I wake up in the morning and I count my blessings. Even though I know life is, is, is tough, we have found the narrow road. And, and when you look at the blessings that we've been given, only three times in the whole Bible do we find these two words together, most blessed. And that's who David is right here. J.L. was also most blessed. But what we find right here is something so cool. We've got to see, David sees who he is. He's most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. I mean, we talked earlier about the joy that he had from the strength of God, which gave him the victories in the military. But, you know, at the end of the day, what makes him exceedingly glad is just the presence of God. Why, why does this happen? Why does he get all these, you know, blessings? And, and the answer is, I think, in verse 7, for the, the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Remember last week we said that some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God? I mean, that's where it has to be. And we talked about how some trust in riches and some trust in their own righteousness. No, we have to trust in Jesus. And it's by His mercy. And that means that we don't get what we deserve. Other translations say, I'm failing love. His faithfulness, His unfailing love, we will never, ever be moved. And what does that mean, to be moved? You know, some say, well, it, it means that you just keep walking with the Lord till the day you die, and I think that that might be part of it. But you know what comes to mind t- to me? There's that great passage in Acts twenty twenty four, when Paul the Apostle was heading back to Jerusalem, And the Holy Spirit was testifying in every city that chains and tribulations awaited him. But he said, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord. What what it is, is is that you, you don't get moved out of the ministry that God has called you to. You don't get moved out of the will of God for your life because I think that for a lot of Christians, that's the problem. You know, they're still Christians. They're still saved. They're not going to get moved out of heaven necessarily, but they get moved out of the will of God. 
And, and what David is, is, is exemplifying for us is a man who trusted God. And, 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 and when he died, when he died, I can't, what, David is one of the guys that I can't wait to, to spend time with in heaven. You know, hey David, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Sit down. Dude, tell me about the time that you slew Goliath, man. Tell me all the details, you know, or, or whatever the case may be, you know. Going, he's, and, and when he died, he heard those words from the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let me ask you a question. Will you hear those words? You know, some of us, and for the most part, people who come to a midweek service, you guys are probably pretty good, but not all of you. I'm thinking of a couple of you right now, but I want to tell you. You know, um, you're just, you're living your life. You think you're pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. Maybe you are. But one day when you stand before God, you're going to be ashamed. 1 John 2, 28. Because you didn't abide in Him. Oh, you lived your life, you had a good time, you know, this and that and the other. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to happen to me. When I stand before the Lord, I want to hear, well done. And that means that every day of my life, I have to live for Him. You know, what we find right here is, is, is David is saying, because of his, his mercy, his unfailing love, because of his faithfulness, I... I, I won't be moved. And, and again, it goes back to the fact that he trusted in the Lord. And I believe that when you trust the Lord, you're going to obey him. In, in verse 8, it says, Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the face of the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back or or run away. You will make ready your arrows on your strings toward their bases. And, and when we think of our enemies, who do you think of first? The devil? Or, or some of you guys thought of a person, huh? Well, come back over here. No, the devil and his demons, right? That's who we think of first, right? They hate God. They hate the people of God. They intend evil. They plot evil against the flock and the family, and so that's the enemy. Ultimately, when I think of enemies, because I try not to, I know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I try not to think of people. But if that person doesn't repent, then they also are the enemy. And so for us, we have New Testament light. It's a little different. But I tell you what, you know, this includes people who are the disciples of the devil and, and his demons and choose not to follow God. They refuse to repent. And what we see right here in the scriptures is that this passage is interesting when you read it. It speaks about his fire and his wrath and the destruction even of their descendants. Now, of course, that means that they 
also followed in the footsteps of those disciples who followed demons and the devil, right? But what we find is that this is a heavy stuff. It's heartbreaking to think of the judgment to come to those who oppose God. And that's part of the reason that, that we have a jet team. That's part of the reason that, that we, you know, we go share the Lord. You know, part of it is because we, we love people and we just want them to be blessed and, and experience life and go to heaven and all that kind of stuff. But, but another part of it is because we don't want them to go to hell. Right? I remember one time uh, an evangelist was sharing with a man who was on death row. And so this man's about to die. And the evangelist shared with him the gospel. He said, you know, uh, God loves you. He's always loved you. He loved you before time began. Before he ever flung a star into the sky, he thought of you. Every tear you've ever cried, every hair you have, every thought you've ever thunk. Every time when you sit down, you rise up, God is always thinking of you. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you because he loves you. And listen, I know you're about to die and you're about to enter into eternity, but I want you to know this right here, right now, that if you give your heart to Christ, if you say yes to Jesus right here, even though you've done all these hideous things, that when you die, you'll be free and forgiven and you'll go to heaven. And you know what the man on death row said? He said, if that was true, I would I would walk to and fro across this country if it were broken glass barefoot to tell the world. I mean, because there's, there's a judgment. What are we doing? You know, prayerfully, we, are, or we have eyes to evangelize. Prayerfully, we have hearts that, that, that just, Lord, I want to go fishing. Make me a fisher of men. Yeah, but Lord, I got all these problems and issues and things like that. You ever thought that maybe some of your problems and issues might fade away if you start thinking about others and less about yourself? There, there's something about that that works. When I read this right here, my heart aches because of the judgment to come. But in the end right here, he says in verse 13, Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. You know, and and we will sing. Why? For we are saved and we exalt him because he's given us the victories. And, and, And in David's case, in Psalm 21, we see it's a battle that was won, right? over his enemies. But in the next chapter, we see how the war was won. And let's see if we can go through this chapter, you guys. I'm so sorry. You guys make the clock go by so fast. Uh, You know, whenever I spend time with you, for whatever reason, it happens, man. Psalm 22. To the chief musician, set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. 
Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. I mean, it's kind of a, it's, an, it's a crazy contrast. Psalm 21, we're going to sing because we're saved. Psalm 21, God just, he whooped all my enemies. I'm the king. I got the 75 pound crown of pure gold on my head. But then when you get to Psalm 22, it's my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And, and, and of course we know that Psalm 22 is, is one of the most amazing psalms in the whole Bible and it's all about Jesus and his cross. You know, it's, it's interesting. In Psalm 22, there are 33 distinctives that point to different aspects of the cross. I don't know if you knew this or not, but 40% of all the quotations in the New Testament from the Old Testament come out of the Psalms. That's how, when you, when you know the Psalms, you're going to know the prophecies of the Messiah. And he begins right there, first of all, with those words that I know most of us are familiar with. You know, we even know it in the Aramaic, huh? You guys know Aramaic? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? That's how Jesus spoke. They say that he could have said it in Hebrew. He probably could have said it in Greek. But he said it in Aramaic because it was the common language of the day. And he wanted everyone to understand exactly what he was saying, how he was pointing everyone back. Look, you got to go back. Read Psalm 22, written 1000 BC, written 500 years before crucifixion was even invented by the Persians and later mastered by the Romans. And, 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 and it's not just him saying, okay, I'm going to quote from the psalm. It's what he felt. The Bible says that in the ninth hour, he said this. So he was crucified in the sixth hour. He was crucified. He was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m., but at 12 noon, something happened to where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and what we find and what we believe is that it was at that moment in time when all the sins of all the world, of all time, were placed on him. Imagine that, the Holy One, weighed down with all the sins of all the world. And his father, we guys know he can't look upon sin and it was at that moment for the first time in all eternity where the Father and the Son were separated. Now I believe that that moment right there was the moment, that, that was the reason why Jesus prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me. You know, some people say it was because of the, the suffering, others say it was because of the sin. I believe that the suffering was the start of it, that the sin was a part of it, but the separation was the heart of it. When he was separated from his father. And you guys know, you know 
why he was forsaken, right? So that we would never be forsaken. Never. Hebrews 13.5, it says, Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is an amazing psalm. It, it really is. You know, he was forsaken so that we as Christians would never be forsaken. It, it says right there in, in verse um, 6, but I am a, I am a worm and, and no man. And this is such an interesting, oh man, just this whole psalm right here. You know, great is the mystery that God would become a man. And great is the mystery that the man would become a lamb. And great is the mystery that the lamb would become a worm. In the Hebrew language, the word for worm, teleith, is the same word for crimson. And, and what you find even in Israel today is that this worm, what it does is attaches itself to a tree. And when it's time to procreate, when it's time to have, you know, whatever descendants of worms are called, it would attach himself to a tree, he would lay the eggs, and then these worms, these kids of his, would eat the, eat the worm. They would eat him. He would die in the process of giving birth. They would eat him. And what we find, all these worms right here, they're, they're, they, they would take them and, and then they would crush them and they would make crimson dye. It was all red. And, and so after those worms, those whatever descendants, the ones that he procreated, the ones that he gave life to, then, then he would die, that worm, and there would be a red spot on the tree. And this is crazy. I know you guys, again, you're going to think this is, a, is crazy, but that red scarlet spot would be attached to the, three, to the tree. But three days later, it would turn white and it would fall down off the tree and so when we read about here him, him saying I, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a, a man I'm a worm he could have used other Hebrew words he uses this word teleith which is synonymous with crimson which gives us that whole message of what this worm has done what, what, what Jesus has done it says right here he says I, I'm despised a reproach of men despised by the people. And isn't that what we read in the scriptures in Isaiah 53 verse 3? He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with death, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were faces from him. He was despised. And you know, when Jesus was there on the cross, you guys know the people mocked. Little did they know that they were fulfilling prophecy in the process. In Matthew 27, 39 through 44, you read about all those people when Jesus was on the cross, mocking him, ridiculing him, saying to him, you know, save yourself, come down from the cross, then we'll believe in you. We find right here, however, Jesus is praying to the Father. In verse 9, he says, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my Mother's womb, you have been my God. And this is interesting, the, the mystery of the deity and humanity of Christ. Here again, he's speaking to his father, 
and how the son humbled himself, the infinite eventually became an infant, dependent upon his mother physically, but at the same time, he says, from my mother's womb you have been my God. And in one sense, he's saying, I, I, you've, you know, like some of you guys, you got saved when you know, were nine or whatever, 22, or you got saved later in life. No, for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, you've always been my God. In, in his humanity, you've always been my God. You've got to answer my prayer. And what's Jesus praying for? What's he praying for? Is he praying to live? No. What's he really praying for? That I can finish this cross. That I can die victoriously for my people. This is what he's praying. Verse 11, he says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They, they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. And again, as he was hanging there on the cross, he was surrounded by Satan, by men under the influence of, of demons. It was a battle. Not just, just, just any bulls. The bulls of Bashan, when you guys go to Israel, they'll point out to you these various sections that are rich in, in you know, the, 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 the bulls they go, they, the cows they feed there. And they're just healthy. They're robust. They're strong. It's not just like a little demon. I'm surrounded by these bulls of, of Bashan and and he mentions the lions. How many times do we read in the Bible about the lions, symbolic of the of the devil himself? And 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 basically the you know, like the lions are a lion. And they're telling him to come down off that cross. You know, I, I, I get convicted a lot when I read this because the Bible says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I don't know about you, but like, you know, you're supposed to be crucified for your bride. And I can, unfortunately, I, I find myself, you know, like, oh, please don't do that. You know, it hurts. Or, you know, just kicking and fighting. I don't want to die to self. But that's exactly what he's doing for us. You know, it's interesting how, although it wasn't redemptive, Paul the Apostle experienced something similar when he was about to die in Rome. It says in 2 Timothy 4, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Now it's interesting. Paul died. It's not like he, he's there and he's saying, yeah, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and I lived. No, he's saying, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and he ends up dying, but he dies victoriously. And that's what Jesus is praying for right here as he's surrounded by these bulls, as, as the lions are there and you know they're, they're mocking him. They're just... You know, I mean, when you read, you're like, well, when it comes to the cross, and it's interesting, the devil's strategy, I don't really, you know, I think he was just trying everything that he could to try to defeat Jesus. First, he told him, you don't have to go to the cross. You know, I got a shortcut right here. All you got to do is bow down, and you bow down to me, and you get all the nations. You don't have to go to the cross. Next thing you, do, next thing you know, he, can, he enters into Judas, and Judas betrays him to go to the cross, to get crucified, and so you're wondering, well, what's Satan's strategy? I can think at the end of the day, he was just, you know, he was just saying, 
that when he goes through all this suffering, when he experiences this sin, when he, you know, this separation takes place between him and his father, and when we just full on assault him, we're going to bring him down. That's what was going on. It was the war. You know, we're talking about our battles, but this is the war. And he won. Right? I mean, verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a, a potsherd. That would be a dried piece of clay. My, my tongue, it clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. In those days, dogs weren't good like they are today. Dogs were scavengers waiting for him to die so that they could eat him. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. You know, and here's the Lord poured out as, as, as an offering. His heart like wax, it means that his heart is broken. All this going on and you know, is dried up. You know, his tongue is clinging to his jaws. That's why in John nineteen twenty eight, in order for him to say anything, he had to get some water because he thirsted. His dry mouth is so dry. You know, his pierced hands and feet. That's an amazing prophecy written, again, decades before crucifixion was even invented and then mastered by the Romans. The, the word in the Hebrew, it literally means to dig, to pierce, to open. That's why I want to share that with you because some translations, they don't translate it properly. It should be translated, they pierced my hands and my feet. And that's why later in Luke 24, 39 through 40, he said to them, behold, my hands and my feet. That's what had happened to him. John 20, 25 to 27. Later when Jesus returns, we read in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that they're going to look on him whom they pierced. Not just the Jews, according to Revelation 1, 7, it says the whole world is going to see him whom they pierced. I like what Jerry has on his truck. It's body piercing, save my life. I like that. You know what I'm talking about? Verse 18, it says, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they they, they cast lots. I mean, David? This is not David. This is a clear prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that every Jew had five garments, five articles of clothing, shoes, turban, girdle, his inner garment, his outer cloak. And so there are five articles of clothing. There are four soldiers. And so they divided them up uh, evenly. But then when it came to the outer cloak, it was more valuable than the others. They didn't want to divide it, and so they cast lots for it, just like the Bible says in John 19, 23 through 24. Verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Again, not that Jesus prayed not to die. What he was asking his father for was strength so that he would die victoriously. And notice what we read there at the end of verse 21. Here it is. And this should probably be separated in your Bible. But notice in verse 21 what it says. It says, You have answered me. 
And I, and I don't know for sure, but I think what we see right here is there was that, that, that battle on the cross, surrounded by the devil. You know, the devil's trying to make him, you know, come down off the cross. Or, or even if he, if he, think of, I know I was thinking about this when I was studying. Even if he just sinned, as he was there on the cross dying for us, he had to be the perfect spotless lamb. In the Old Testament, they had the sacrifices and they would lay the hands on the sacrifice. And it was symbolic of the sins going from the person to the sacrifice and they would kill him. All our sins went on him. And so he had to be the spotless sacrifice because those things are just shadows of the substance. It was all pointing to one day when he would die for us, right? Because he had to absorb the infinite wrath of God. That's why it had to be God himself who died. And so I was just even thinking, though it had to be perfect, he had to be perfect. And so all, all the devil had to do even was just to make him sin. And the sacrifice would have not been meritorious for us. But he did not sin and he was victorious and 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 so when all this is going on he's on the cross he's dying for our sins and then somehow i don't know for sure exactly how it worked but somehow when he was there he knew he had redeemed us and that's why we read in verse 21 and and you've answered me And he knew. Wow. You know, later on we know on the cross he, he gets a, a little drink he says, I'm thirsty, I have something to say. And then in the Greek it's to, to telestai, it is finished. And then he, he, he said, I can die now. And he delivered up his spirit. He breathed his last. This to me it's so amazing. He now knew he was victorious even though, you know, we, we see the battle that was going on and, and the rest of the psalm, I mean, I'm going to read it real quick. The rest of the psalm has to do with how Jesus would save the people. And you're going to notice uh, three distinct groups next. In verse uh, 22, it says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Now this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. And it's in reference to the church. In verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. So we have the church, and now we have Israel mentioned in verse 23. But then he goes on and talks about the whole wide world. In verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear you. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. And I don't want to get gross or anything, but remember we were talking about those worms earlier? <laughs> Eating, you know, the, the, the mama worm or whatever, the, the parent worm. It's like Jesus said in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Again, not cannibalism, but faith. And it becomes a part of you. And it's interesting how he says right here, you know, and, um, and the, they, they would eat. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world. So it's the church and it's Israel and it's the whole world. Remember and turn to the Lord how simple salvation is. And all the families of the nation shall worship 
before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth, here it is again, shall eat <laughs> and worship. You're not talking about in and out right there, okay? All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. I love verse 30 because then it goes into the future. It says, A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. And that's exactly what we're doing tonight, huh? You know, as, as, as David is writing about this and as Jesus did what he did, then the generations go on and on. I like the way it's worded in the New Living Translation. And let me read this and then we'll close. It says, Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. And they will hear about everything that he has done. And you know, and that's really a really cool verse, I think even for for missions and for us passing the baton on to the next generation. And so there you see the cross where the war was won. I pray that you would appreciate it. And, and, And there you see the battles along the way. You guys remember we'd say this all the time, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. But hopefully as we fight from victory, we're not just fighting amongst ourselves or just fighting ourselves. Hopefully eventually the day comes where we're fighting the Goliaths. Because man, there's work to do. We're living in the, in, in the last of the last days. And I know you're like, Manny, you're going 10 minutes over. 